0: Welcome everybody to the fourth and final week of Supernatural, this series of messages in which we've been exploring uh, some of the more strange and unusual aspects of our faith. These beliefs we as Christians have in the supernatural natural. Beliefs that maybe over time seem kind of normal to us as Christians, but if you really look at it, there's some really weird stuff that we believe in. And I hope Uh, This series has been informational. I hope it's uh, been interesting to you. I know several of you have commented about how much you've learned and how many questions you've had answered, and that's great. But I hope even more than just satisfying some of your curiosity about the supernatural, I hope you're going to walk away from this series with some practical ways to allow the supernatural realities of God To show up in the natural realities of your daily life. And I thought, well, since we're heading into the Christmas season, uh, I thought we might wrap up the supernatural series by talking about angels, right? Because angels have a big part in the Christmas story. Angels are these supernatural, spiritual beings that are created by God for God. So let's just start off kind of seeing where we're all at. How many of you actually believe in angels? You believe angels are real? They're around? Wow, that's a lot. How many of you like, "Mm, not so sure? Jury's still out? Yeah, a few. How many of you were scared to vote because you thought you'd be judged by the people around you? Chickens? Take a stand. No. Um, Interestingly, it's not just church people who believe in the reality of angels. In fact, a recent Gallup survey revealed that 72% of American adults believe in the reality of angels. That's a lot of people, 72%. That is a mainstream belief. Like we're not talking about fringe people who, you know, they believe the moon landing is fake and pro wrestling is real. We're not talking about those kinds of people. We're talking about people like us. Normal, average, everyday, seemingly normal people believe in angels. But here's the question. What do they believe about angels? because most of us, both outside and inside the church, develop our beliefs about angels less from what we discover in the Bible and more from what we pick up in popular culture, right? Because there's a lot of stuff in the popular culture about angels. You guys remember the TV show Touched by an angel, right? Which taught us that angels are attractive ladies with British accents, right? Angels in the Outfield, that movie taught us that angels really like baseball and they take care of orphan kids or or one of the most biblically accurate movie about angels, Michael, does anybody know that movie, Michael with uh, John Travolta? Yeah, which taught us that uh, angels drink beer and wear wife beater T-shirts. And then of course, the greatest angel movie ever. It's going to start playing this week and it'll play a thousand times over the next month. You know the TV or the movie I'm talking about, right? It's a Wonderful Life. Greatest movie ever. Some of you hate that movie. You need to repent. You need Jesus because it's an awesome movie. Makes me cry every time. But that movie taught us that every time a bell rings, what happens? An angel gets its wings. And of course, according to the Hallmark Card Corporation, the appearance of angels, they look an awful lot like fat little ball-headed babies sitting on a cloud playing a harp, right? That's how they're portrayed, which is interesting because nowhere do you find that in, in the Bible. In fact, whenever you see angels in the Bible, they are either one fierce mighty, scary warriors with flaming swords. If you've ever wondered why anytime an angel shows up, they always start the conversation with fear not or don't be afraid. Why? Because they're gum scary, you know, these big, powerful angels. Or sometimes angels show up and they just look just like people, right? There are several instances in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Old Abraham, Father Abraham, sitting out in a tree out in front of his tent. Three guys show up. He just thinks they're, you know, regular dudes, travelers. Like, hey, guys, come on in. You know, Sarah, break, bake your bread. We've got some visitors. He thinks they're regular people. Turns out they're angels sent by God that inform he and Sarah that she's going to have a child. Also in the book of Genesis, uh, Abraham's uh, nephew, Lot, who was living in Sodom, He's sitting at the gate of the city one day. Two guys show up. He just thinks they're travelers, so he's nice. He's friendly to them. He invites them to stay in his home. Turns out they were angels, even though they look like normal people. No wonder the Bible tells us in Hebrews 13:2 that we should be kind to strangers because we may very well be entertaining angels unawares. I thought, you know what, that'd be a great theme verse for our guest services on Sunday morning at all of our campuses, right? Be nice to everybody that shows up because they might be an angel. Of course, if somebody shows up claiming to be an angel, we might need to notify our security team about that. But what's the real deal? about, I mean, what is the truth? We've got all this stuff out in culture, but what does the Bible teach us about angels? There are actually over 300 encounters or passages about encounters with angels. Obviously, we don't have time to cover all 300 of those, but we're going to look at several of these uh, incidents, these passages where angels are involved, and those passages are really going to help us answer two key questions about angels. First of all, who are they? Who are angels? And then secondly, what role can they play in my life? What do these angels have to do with my daily life? So let's start with who are angels? Well, I've already said that they're supernatural spiritual beings that were created by God for God. But the question is, what exactly is it they do for God? What is their purpose? What is their function? Well, interestingly, there are three primary roles for angels. In fact, almost every time you see angels in Scripture, they're usually doing one or more of these three things. One, they are messengers. Angels are messengers of God. In fact, the word angel literally means heavenly messenger. Right, you see that over and over in Scripture. The angel of God delivering the message of God to the people of God. Right? We just talked about Abraham and Lot in the Old Testament. What were they doing? They were delivering God's message for God's people. It's not just in the book of Genesis, in the Old Testament book of Judges, when the nation of Israel has been overwhelmed and being oppressed by the Midianites. You may remember back in the spring in our Power of Small series, we talked about a guy named Gideon. Skinny little scared punk who's hiding out thrashing wheat in a hole in the ground. He's scared to death. He's going to get captured or killed. And an angel of the Lord shows up and says, Greetings, mighty warrior of God. The Lord is with you. What's happening there? The angel is delivering God's message that I am with you and I'm going to free the nation of Israel through you, Gideon. That's bringing the message of God. And of course, in the New Testament, we see the greatest message ever from God, delivered by an angel to a young teenage girl in Nazareth who's getting prepared for a wedding, right? You remember this, Luke chapter one? It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And you know the rest of the story right? You're going to conceive a child. It's going to be of the Holy Spirit. His name is to be Jesus. You know that story because it's the greatest story ever told. But it started with the angel of God delivering the message of God to the people of God. Angels are messengers, but that's not all they are. They are also warriors. Angels are warriors. They fight and they battle on God's behalf. We've seen that a little bit in this series. Last week, remember we talked about Satan? That Satan was actually an angel, the chief angel of the chief class of angels, but in pride he rebelled against God. He convinced some of the other angels to join his rebellion, and he's removed, thrown out of God's presence. But if you read the Revelation passage about that, you'll see that it's not God directly who fights and throws Satan out of heaven. It's Michael, the archangel, takes him on. That's what they do. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel prays and asks God for help because he's struggling. He really needs God to show up. He prays 21 days, nothing happens, nothing changes. And then all of a sudden an angel shows up and says, Daniel, the moment you prayed and asked God for help, he sent me but for the last 21 days, I've been fighting against the prince of Persia, and I had to keep doing that battle until Michael could come and replace me in that battle so that now I could come and help you. What do they doing? Angels are battling. They are warriors. But here's my favorite picture of just how mighty and powerful angels are. It takes place in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. The city of Jerusalem is under siege. The Assyrian army has surrounded it, and So the people are trapped in the city walls. Nothing in, nothing out. They're running out of food. They're overwhelmed. And so they cry out to God and say, you got to help us. We're under siege here. And I love how God answers. Notice verse 35. It says, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. Let that sink in. One angel wipes out 185 battle-hardened Assyrian soldiers in a single night. That's a far cry from a naked baby sitting on a cloud playing a harp, right? They are powerful warriors. They are messengers of God. And thirdly, they are worshipers. Angels are Worshippers, And you can see that throughout the Bible. Multiple examples of angels worshiping God. Again, the Christmas story, right? You remember the shepherds outside of Bethlehem? An angel shows up and delivers a message to them. T- tonight in the city of David, a child has been born. He is Christ the Lord. What happens after he delivers that message? That angel is joined by a whole host of angels. And what do they do? They sing glory to God in the highest, right? They are worshiping God. My favorite picture of angels worshiping God actually was written about by a guy by the name of John. Yeah, the same John that was one of Jesus' three closest disciples. Late in John's life, the authorities, they decide not to kill him for preaching Jesus, but they exile him to a deserted island, the Isle of Patmos. And while John, as an old man, is sitting there on that island, God does this amazing thing. God peels back the curtain and allows John just a brief glimpse into heaven. And notice what John sees, Revelation 5. John says, And I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy, is the lamb what are they doing they're worshiping and did you catch there are a whole lot of them probably more than John could even count it's just like they were everywhere there were millions of them imagine millions and millions of angels around the throne singing over and over at the top of their lungs worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb you think worship gets loud on your campus on Sunday morning you wait till you get to heaven because millions of angels are worshiping the king of kings. They're messengers, they're warriors, they're worshipers. Now, when you think about those three things that angels do, here's the key. Here's what you need to grab hold of. Angels work for God, not for us. Angels do God's bidding, not our bidding. In fact, in the Old Testament book of Joshua, you remember Joshua, he took over after Moses died and he actually took the nation of Israel into the promised land But the promised land was full of a bunch of mighty nations and fortified cities, right? They had to win the land through battle. And the first city they come to is Jericho, a walled, fortified city. And so Joshua and the nation of Israel kind of waiting to see, you know, what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to take over this fortified city. One night Joshua's just out taking a little walk outside the camp by himself, and he runs into this huge warrior with a flaming sword. And Joshua said what we would say, whoa, dude, whose side are you on? Are you on our side? Are you on the enemy's side? And you know what the angel said? Neither. I'm not on your side or your enemy's side. I serve the Lord above. Angels serve God, not us. Now, why is that such a big deal? Why am I making such a big point about that? It's because I see this more and more in culture, and sadly, I see more and more of it in the church, this something bordering on angel worship. Like we, we, we look to angels and think we, we need to pray to the angels. We, we need to pray through an angel or we need to depend on angels, guardian angels to keep us safe. And if you've ever had that thought or talked to people who've had that idea like angels are all that in a bag of chips and they are awesome and they are really cool, but don't ever forget this. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone, not in angel armies, not in warriors, Our hope is in Jesus. He is our Savior, not the angels. He is our provider, not the angels. He is our protector, not the angels. I think the very early Christians in the first century got caught up in this angel worship as well, depending on angels. And the reason I say that is because the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews, when he was writing to the early church, He uses the whole first chapter of his letter to talk about how much greater Jesus is than the angels. He goes through a whole list for a whole chapter. In fact, look at what he writes in Hebrews 1, 4. He says, this shows that the son, Jesus, is far greater than the angels. Just as the name God gave him, the name of Jesus, is greater than their names. It's greater than Michael. It's greater than Gabriel we don't worship angels. We don't depend on angels. But with that said, there are times, we see clearly in Scripture, there are times where God uses angels in our daily lives. And so that's the second question I want us to answer is, what, what roles do angels play in my life? And if you look at scripture, there are kind of three ways God uses angels in the reality of our daily lives. One, God can use angels to give me direction. They can give me direction. Now, notice I said can. God can do this. It doesn't mean that he always does. What he always does to give us directions is the Holy Spirit. Remember that from a couple of weeks ago? the supernatural power and presence of God that he places in us when we become followers of Jesus. And he uses that spirit, he uses his word, he uses the other believers around us to guide us and direct us in our lives. But sometimes there are clear examples in Scripture of God using angels to direct the path of people's lives. Sometimes God uses angels to show us where we should go or what we should do. Right? Back to the Christmas story. You know, Mary runs to her fiance, Joseph, and says, guess what? Great news. I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, great, but I wasn't there. You know, and he said, well, it's the Holy Spirit. He's not buying that. So what does Joe plan to do? Leave her, divorce her, break up with her. And what happens when Joseph goes to sleep that night? God sends an angel into his dream and says, don't do what you're planning. What she's telling you is true. That's an angel directing Joe as to what to do or not do. then, of course, you fast forward a little later after Jesus' birth, when Jesus and Joseph and Mary are living in Bethlehem, God sends an angel to say, Joe, you got to take the wife and the baby and get out of here because crazy King Herod is coming to kill the child. There again, an example of an angel telling somebody what they should do or where they should go. But that's not the only way God uses angels to direct our life. Sometimes God uses angels to keep us from going in the wrong direction. My favorite picture of that is in the Old Testament book of Numbers. There's a guy by the name of Balaam. Balaam is a prophet of God for the nation of Israel. And Balaam's been playing a little fast and loose with the people he's hanging out with. And he's hanging out with some of these Moabites. God's not happy with it. And so notice what happens. Numbers 22. It says, so the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. And notice what he does. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. What do you see there? God using an angel to keep him from going where he doesn't need to go. And by the way, if you've never read this story, you've got to go today. You've got to go and read this story. To me, it's one of the funniest, coolest stories in the entire Bible. Here's what happens. Balaam's riding on his little donkey, his little pet donkey, his good little friend, and God sends an angel that stands right in the middle of the road, flaming sword at the ready. The donkey sees the angel, but Balaam can't see it. And so the donkey's like, oh, I don't want any of that. And he veers off into a field. And Balaam doesn't know. Donkey, what are you doing? This, this, bad donkey, bad donkey, bad donkey. Gets him back on the road, and off they go again. A little further, the angel appears in the road again. Donkey sees it. Balaam doesn't. Only this time... There's a vineyard on each side of the road and the vineyard has a rock wall around it. So when the donkey veers off like, oh, I don't want any of that, it crushes Balaam's foot up against the wall Now Balaam is even more mad. Bad donkey, bad donkey. What is wrong with you, donkey? Gets him back on the road. Off they go again. A third time it happens. The angel appears in the road and the donkey just gives up and just plops down. I'm not going anywhere. Now Balaam is mad as fire. He gets off and he's wailing on that bad donkey, bad donkey, bad donkey. And I guess at some point, God felt sorry for that precious little donkey. And he opens the donkey's mouth. The donkey starts talking. This is thousands of years before Shrek, the very first talking donkey. And the donkey's like, Balaam, you know this isn't how I behave. Why are you beating me? And what's amazing is Balaam talks back to the donkey. There's no indication in scripture that Balaam freaked out and go, whoa, dude, when did you learn to talk? He just starts in a conversation with the donkey and then God opens Balaam's eyes. And Balaam sees that big old angel with that big old flaming sword, and the angel said, You better stop getting mad at that donkey, because if you'd have come any further, Balaam, I was taking you out. And the Bible says, Balaam falls on his face and he worships the Lord, and I imagine he was saying, Thank you, donkey. Thank you, donkey. Right? That's an example of God using an angel to keep you from going where you don't need to go. So let me ask you this Have you ever missed a flight and got mad? Have you ever been delayed in traffic and thought, "Ugh, what are you doing, God? Right? Have you ever been waiting on somebody and they don't get ready in time and you get all mad because it's messing with your agenda? Maybe, just maybe. God is using an angel to keep you from going where you don't need to go or to keep you from going there when you don't need to go. God can use angels to direct our lives. The second way God can use angels is to protect me from danger. God can use angels to protect me from danger. Now, this is the number one question I get from people. You probably can guess what it is. Most people ask me when it comes to angels, Philip, do I have a what? A guardian angel. I think the reason people think that a lot, in fact, where people really think of it is with small children. People think, you know, when children are born, they have a guardian, a personal guardian angel that protects them. I think the reason so many people believe that, even in the church, is a misinterpretation of uh, some events that are recorded in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus draws a group of little kids in front of him, and he says to his followers, his disciples, unless you become like these little children, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, woe to anyone who messes up or harms or does anything bad to these little kids because their angels have always had their face turned toward them. You think, well, kids got guardian angels. Jesus proved it. But that's a misinterpretation of the context. First of all, understand, Jesus is not talking specifically about the children. The children are a visual object lesson of what he's trying to teach his followers. What Jesus is saying is when you follow me, God has your back. You are protected by the angels. The other misinterpretation is Jesus said they're angels. It's plural, not possessive. It's not apostrophe yet. He says they're angels. In other words, what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 18 is that God has an army of angels that he can use to protect you no matter how young or old you are. Psalm 91, 11, look at what it says. For he, talking about God, he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. I read that, and you know what question it begs for me? Then why do bad things keep happening to me? Right? Where's that angel army? Were they on break? Are they unionized? Did they fall asleep? How do these bad things keep happening to me? If there's a whole army of angels, can't they prevent it? Can't they stop it? I don't know all the reasons why in my own journey, and I can't answer that for you, but I can say this. Angels serve God's purposes. And sometimes God's purposes Are best fulfilled in the difficult and painful things that we go through. So maybe that's what was happening. But here's the great news even when that happens, even when bad, difficult, painful things, God sends angels to care for you. And that's the third thing angels can do. They can minister to me in tough times. When I'm hurting, when I'm broken. When I'm weak, when I feel overwhelmed, God can send angels to minister to me. In fact, again, Hebrews chapter one, verse 14 says, are not angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? I looked up that word ministering and according to the Google, ministering means to attend to, to wait on and to care for someone as one friend cares for another. And so there are times when you're beat down, when you're struggling, when you're weak and overwhelmed, God can use angels to minister you in your weak moments. Isn't that what they did with Jesus? The beginning of Jesus' public ministry, 40 days of fasting and prayer in that hot, dry wilderness, And then several days of battling with Satan in temptation. And then finally, 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 when Satan leaves Jesus, do you know what happens? Read it. It says God sent his angels to minister to Jesus. And he can do that for you. I don't know what battle you're fighting right now. I don't know what's got you exhausted, broken, hurting, feeling overwhelmed, but I'm pretty sure there's not a one of us in here that isn't dealing with some issue, some relationship, some problem, some financial situation, some job situation that is wearing you out and breaking you down. Can I ask how many of you would say, yeah, that's true of me right now, Philip. I'm dealing with that, right? Look around. You know why that's true for so many of us? It's because we are broken people living in a broken world. And life on this earth is a battle. It is a daily battle. If you're not battling day in and day out, if you're not fighting the good fight, you might want to look at your life and say whose team you're on, what direction you're going, because life as a Christ follower is a war. It is a battle. And in battles, soldiers get wounded. But here's the great news. They never get left behind. That's been the whole purpose of this supernatural series. It's not about satisfying our curiosity or answering our questions about these stranger things. The whole purpose of this supernatural series is to give us hope in the battle, hope for the dark days. Hope to realize that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And so I want to leave you with three things. Please take these things away from this series. Three truths that you can hold on to as a follower of Jesus. One, We always ultimately have victory in Jesus. There is victory in Jesus. Somebody ought to write a song about that. It'd be a pretty good one, right? Remember where we started this journey a month ago? As believers, we fight our battles from victory, not for victory. Don't forget, we always have ultimate eternal victory in Jesus. And secondly, Never forget that God's resources available to you are more than sufficient to fight the battles you find yourselves in. I understand these are tough battles we are all dealing with, but we don't fight them empty-handed Philippians 4:19 says my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory and he has resourced you and equipped you to be an effective soldier for the battle. He has placed his holy spirit in you, his power and his presence available around the clock to you. He has given you the armor Of God to put on to defend yourself. He's given you the sword of truth, his word to fight back against the enemy. And he even has an army of millions and millions of angels that he can send to fight with you and for you. Never forget in your battle, you fight from victory. You have all that you need in Jesus, but don't forget this third truth. This is the most important truth. It requires surrender. Victory in the battles of your life require surrender. It's not just knowing information about the supernatural power and presence of God. It's accessing that power in your daily life by living open-handed. Everything you try to control and manipulate on your own, that's how you'll do it. On your own. And you might win in the short term, but you're gonna get whooped in your own strength. But if you'll open up, if you'll surrender, if you'll choose to trust God's will more than yours, if you'll choose to trust His plan more than yours, if you'll choose to trust His love and His purposes more than your short time difficult circumstances, just like that sponge in the water, the more open handed you are the more the supernatural power and tools of the God of the universe fill your life. But that don't happen by showing up and singing hallelujah. It don't happen by just doing Christian activities. It requires every day and every moment of the day for you to say like John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease more about him, his kingdom, his purposes, less about me and what I want and what I think is important. So let me just ask you, what would that look like in your life? What would a next step of being a little more open-handed? You know, that issue you're dealing with, that relationship, that person, maybe it's family or work, that thing you keep trying to get them to do what they ought to do so it would make life better for you, what would a little more open-handed surrender look like? Or how about that habit that you keep fighting it and fighting it and fighting the temptation, but you keep doing it on your own and thinking, I can control this, I can manage this temptation, and you end up face down doing the same old things that you get sick of yourself for doing. What would surrender look like for that, for you? What would a next step be? Or or maybe for some of you here today, your next step would actually be the very first step of surrender. To do exactly what the prodigal son did. Finally be sick and tired of being sick and tired and laying face down in the mud and just get up and repent and say, I'm going home to the Father. I don't know all the answers. I don't know what it's like, but it's got to be better than this. Maybe that's your next step. I don't know what it is, but if you want to live in victory, if you really want to live a life that fills you and gives you significance, then surrender to the one who controls it all and yet somehow, some way, loves you personally. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I thank you for the reminder of who you are. I pray that as we've looked at all these supernatural aspects of our faith, that it has given us a clearer view of just how amazing you are. And so, Father, in doing that, it would help us to take a next step in living surrendered, so that the supernatural realities of your kingdom would help us fight effectively in the natural daily life as the kingdom moves forward. We want to be a part of that, Jesus. And we confess our complete and total dependence on you today. And it's in your name, the most powerful name ever, the name that is far greater than any angel or demon or Satan, or anything else, Jesus, 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 Jesus. amen.